0: We're live. Hi. We're being live on Facebook. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you're watching on Facebook, and you'd like to join us in our Zoom room. Uh, we'll have we will post the link in the comments section, and you can you can join through there. Uh, we're very excited today. We have His Grace Mahatma Prabhu with us, who is um, a quite a uh, prolific speaker, and so we're we're feeling very fortunate and happy to. Uh, to have him with us today and um, we believe he yeah he'll be speaking about the psychological necessities of, of spiritual life and kind of you know how, how do we how do we stay happy even as devotees and how do we take care of ourselves both uh, physically subtly and spiritually um, and, and mentally. So um, before that while we're waiting for Prabhu to arrive we'll have Sarvatma Prabhu uh, who's looking pretty mysterious right now because he's against the window, but I think that's kind of cool looking. And we'll have Sarvatma Prabhu lead us in some kirtan. Um, if you've never done kirtan before, and this is the first time ever hearing about kirtan, it's call and response mantra meditation. Uh, feel free to chant along at home. Sarvatma Prabhu will be chanting the Maha Mantra and, uh, and we'll, we'll sing at our respective locations, filling the air with sacred sound. So, Sarvata Prabhu, whenever you're ready, we'll go to about 5.15 until yeah. Mahatma Prabhu arrives.
1: To make it a little stronger. What'd you say? Um, okay, I'm ready to go. Okay. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna,
0: Krishna,
2: Hari
0: Thank you so much, Prabhu.
2: Welcome.
0: We have a we have a few more minutes if you'd like to continue,
1: um,
0: or I can I can lead a short one because. Yeah, we'll, please do, please do. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a short little kirtan with the ukulele as well. Oh, hi Krishna Mahatma Prabhu. Jai, Hari Bolo. So nice to see you. I, told, I was told to come late, so I came late. Great. Yeah, you came right on time. Oh, did I? Yeah, you like the you like the There's nighttime. my soul brother,
3: Saratma. Hey. How are you, brother? <laughs> to keep us entertained. <laughs> is, you, can you hear me well?
0: We got my you. air
3: conditioning on.
0: Yeah, we can hear you wonderfully. We're so, so happy, uh, we're so happy, happy you agreed to come on today. Thank you so much, Prabhu. So, I'll just I'll give a little introduction. Muhammad Prabhu is a, a disciple of uh, AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. He's also an initiating spiritual master in Iskan. Uh, he's known for taking the the, the vast body of, of Bhakti scriptures and bringing them down into a very practical and uh, and applicable uh, concepts for devotees all over the world. He's a source of great inspiration. Uh, to our community and, and to communities all around the world. His most recent book that was at least printed and is available is Living the Wisdom of Bhakti. And we'll put some um, some links in the chat section as well as links to his website where he has many recorded talks and his recorded music um, and so many other wonderful things. And You can also catch Mahatma Prabhu every morning on Facebook um, at it's 8 a.m. Eastern time, correct, Prabhu? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 8 a.m. Eastern time. Um, Monday eight, through Friday. Monday through Friday. A morning class, 8 a.m. Eastern time, and so we'll we'll recircle that information as well. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll stop there, Mahamrabhu, Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Ananda.
3: Maham Vishnu Krishna Prasad Bhutale, Shrimati Bokti Virantashrami, namaste Masterisharishwati Devi, Gauravani Pichani, Nibisaisasinivari. So I was asked to speak on something that I spoke on a few weeks ago. And just like Lord Chaitanya, when he was asked, can you, re- can you explain the Atmarama verse as you explained to Sarvabhoma? And, and he said, I can't remember what I said. So I think Ananda, Murari and Vrinda, you probably can kind of push me on in a particular direction, maybe with some questions or remind me what I spoke about. Or, or what you had in mind that you wanted to cover. So we make sure that what you want me to talk about is I stay on uh, course. I mean, I kind of remember what I said, but <laughs> you may be thinking of something a certain direction and I'm not thinking of that direction. So you want to yeah. kind of sort me out and- well, maybe-
0: I- we we were pretty open, Prabhu. I think your your reflections on, you know, mental well being, you know, psychological well being amongst devotees, I think was very important. And just the kind of um, you know way in which that bhakti is a holistic practice. It's not just kind of it's not I can just neglect certain aspects of my life and then still have still have the enthusiasm to to practice as I should that actually by living holistically then we can we can practice.
3: I think what was happening to me is I became a little interested in psychology and how the mind works and I started noticing things that that Prabhupada was saying that were very similar to what psychologists were saying and I wouldn't have known it was similar unless I studied it and then I started putting pieces together and I started seeing problems that we thought were spiritual that aren't, weren't always spiritual or only partly spiritual or were sometimes completely psychological, and it was just having ill effects on one's spiritual life. So I can give an example, and this kind of stimulated me to go more into this. So in that book that you showed, Living the Wisdom of Babaki, there's a chapter called Self-Envy, something like Self-Envy and Something, maybe Self-Envy and Self-Compassion. And so the devotee who was editing it is a Prabhupada disciple and she got really mad at me. The only Prabhupada disciples who ever get mad at me are women. They, like, they're like sisters and when I do something wrong, they chastise me. And of course, Sarvatma chastises me also, but he's in his own category. So, so, um. <laughs> so, she got really mad at me and she said, "She said you can't use this word, word self envy. That's like new age, um, warm and fuzzy talk in psychology. <laughs> I said, Prabhupada uses that word. And she said, I don't believe you. And I, I gave her five quotes, I think, where Prabhupada used that word. And Prabhupada used it in the context, which was very similar to the concept in psychology of you have to love yourself to, to be productive and balanced and healthy. And he was saying that if you if you go off somewhere, no one's around, and you want to kill yourself, nobody can stop you. And that's a kind of self-envy. And then he was asked, well, what do you mean by self-envy? Because self-envy, in a sense, doesn't make sense, because you would be envious of somebody else, because they have what you want. Why would you be envious of yourself? And Prabhupada said... It's because you have a chance to be Krishna conscious and you don't take advantage. So you're actually envious of yourself. And in Sanskrit, the word envy sometimes is used as harm. Like like Prabhupada said, if you eat meat, you're envious of the cows. And like you go up to you know some guy at McDonald's, you go, you know, you're envious of cows, don't you? It wouldn't make sense, but it means violence. It's also a definition of envy, hatred, violence, aggression. So in that sense, Prabhupada was saying, you're envious of your own self because you're doing something that's harming yourself. And then I started thinking about this and I'm just thinking, okay, anything I do in Krishna consciousness that is not it is not helping me, especially things that I'm doing that go against my self-interest, it's self-envy. And what would counteract self-envy? Right? Do you ever... Do you ever like no, you have to do something and you just say i don't care i'll do it tomorrow you ever say that it's a kind of self-envy it's like it's like you're not taking care of yourself don't eat that it's not good for you i don't care it's okay it'll make you fat i don't care it's like you don't care about yourself and so in order to be krishna conscious you have to care about your spiritual life if you don't care then what happens? You just don't try and it doesn't matter if you don't do well. So I was seeing this a lot, especially with sadhana and especially with japa, because people would say, I haven't chanted a good round in like 14 years. That would be common, you know? When was the last time you chanted a good japa? Mm, mm, um, I don't remember, Prabhu. Well, it was one, one mantra. I think it was last September, maybe it was, 2018 actually. I'm serious, you know, it sounds funny, but a lot of times it's like that. And so I'm thinking, how could you go week after week, month after month, year after year, and chant Bad Japan? There must be something somewhere where you just don't care. Like, I don't care. And then I started asking devotees, Well, are you planning to go back to Godhead? Are you working on that? And they say things like, nah. Not in this life. I don't think so. I was thinking, you don't care. Prabhupada said in one life you can do it and you're not trying and you don't care. Like something's going on here. No, they'll say I'm too attached or I'm not that serious or I'm not that austere. So I was kind of seeing this coming up, this like lack of caring about themselves. And you know, in the world of psychology, they talk a lot about self-love, which is what people lack when they have low self-esteem. And then I kind of got this reputation as a counselor because I talk about these things in my classes and then people, they always come to me and say, I have this psychological problem. I think you're a psychologist. And I go, no, I'm not. They say, well, it seems like from your classes, you are, can you help me? So what was happening was most of what I was getting, especially from women, was low self-esteem, like they didn't like themselves. They would do things that weren't healthy for themselves. And then I talked to a a devotee named Rakura, who was very involved in this kind of work. And he was being trained by one of the best coaches in Europe and the best coach in Europe said, he said it's epidemic, lack of self-confidence and low self-esteem has now become epidemic, pandemic and i was seeing that amongst devotees like just this not caring and then i realized just for a simple thing like chanting good japa to control your mind you have to care a little bit about yourself you can't just say i don't care bad japa whatever and then after whatever you know the next one that comes after whatever the ultimate excuse i can't chant good japa
4: i try
3: and so I, I was studying a little bit of self-development, and I was seeing all these seeds of, of um, what we would call disempowering self-talk amongst devotees, in the name, sometimes in the name of humility. But it was actually unhealthy psychology. It just looked like humility. <laughs> and then I talked to a devotee, and she finally admitted. She said... I fake humility because I want people to like me and think I'm humble. So that's, you know, that's there also, the spiritual movement, you know, if you're humble, people will give you gold stars. So sometimes we do that. And so I was seeing, there was a lot of unhealthy psychology going around, people berating themselves. And then um, just recently it it happened, this always happens, but just recently it happened like one after another, after another. <clears throat> there, I don't know if you've been watching, but there were, there's been some shows about domestic violence and um, abuse. And then all of a sudden people are writing me and, and saying, I think I was abused as a child and I never realized it. And now I'm starting to understand why I have all these problems. They're becoming aware because they look at the symptoms of abuse. and They go, well, yeah, that's exactly what my father did or it's exactly what my ex-husband did. And they start to realize that they have trauma problems. I just um, was speaking a few hours ago to uh, one woman. And her husband was so abusive to her, not physically or verbally, verbally, but by neglecting her. He never touched her. He never gave her anything. She went to a therapist. And the therapist said, you're traumatized by, by neglect. But she was neglected by her father and neglected by her husband. And so I've started to see all these kinds of things are coming up and it's creating all kinds of instability in devotees' lives. And then you get these devotees with low self-esteem and they have high expectations for their partners and they have these very toxic dysfunctional relationships because they're asking their partners to be and do things that no normal human being could do every day of their life. So it was, as I understood psychology, Fortunately or unfortunately, I could kind of understand people. They would tell me their problems, and like, like two minutes, I'd say, okay, I think I got it, and I would tell them the rest of the problem. They go, how did you know that? they go, because I've heard it like a hundred times this week. I know. This is, it's like Kali Yuga, and everybody's going through it. So and then I was starting to analyze the counseling I was doing and the help I was giving, and other gurus have said this also, that most of it is not spiritual, it's psychological. Your, the problems people have are because when well, I was young, this and that, and my father was never this, and my mother that, and my mother's an alcoholic. And, and then you start studying, it's like there's all kinds of problems you have if you have an absentee parent, if you come from a divorced family, if you have an alcoholic parent. And, the, and now and now, nowadays, because, because of Google, you can find out why you're so messed up. You go, oh, that's why I'm messed up, because my parents were alcoholics, or my father was neglected, my mother, or my mother, you know, tormented my father, and so everyone's a little messed up, but what I'm seeing lately is a lot of people are very messed up, and it's coming quite common. The other thing that's happening, which is so sad, is that I was talking to a devotee from India, and he said, he said, practically the whole male population in India is addicted to pornography. It's like, it's like, it's like epidemic now because it's so easily available. And it's, if you know anything about addictions, it just destroys your lives. Um, I just spoke to a devotee. I just heard from a devotee, and he failed all his final exams because he's a sex addict and his mind got deviated. So, these are, these are realities that I've become aware of. And then I, I gave a whole class on how your psychology affects your japa and that whole like I don't care syndrome, or um, you can't handle situations well and they disturb you, and then you're chanting japa and you're just thinking about everything that disturbs you, and just on and on and on. So, that's where it all started. I think I knew too much, and too many people were coming to me, and I was beginning. To understand what goes on behind the scenes that nobody knows about, and many, many of the things that devotees told me said I would never tell my spiritual master. The only people that know that know this are the counselors, and the only counselors that these people trust. So somehow other people would trust me, and I was getting this whole—you could say like underwater vision—of Iskon and spiritual life behind the scenes. And if you Talk practically to any devotee or most devotees, and you let them talk and say, How's it going, Prabhu? Is everything okay? If they know they can talk, they'll just Pandora's box opens with all kinds of problems. If you're willing to listen, everybody's got, not everybody, but a lot of people have a lot of issues. And because it's Kali Yuga, it's getting worse. So that's what I'm seeing. And then in our preaching, we're making people devotees. And we don't realize their their psychological problems until they become devotees and they start working with us and associating with us and committing to things that they can't do and over-committing and then being dishonest and on and on and on. And it's like, what's going on? And you finally start having to dig and you see that they've got all kinds of problems and they're afraid, they're afraid to tell the truth because if they tell the truth, when they were a kid, they told the truth and they got beat up and this and that. And it's just like, it's like, where does it end? So this is what I have been dealing with maybe for the last 15 years just seeing this and talking to other counselors about it and then you have this whole the whole world of you know the heavy classes you know those heavy classes like you know if you ever had a lustful thought once in your life you're going to a planet where you'll have to embrace hot iron women or something you know and then, you know, you're a good devotee, and you, you get married, and you think everything's going to be great, and you mess up a little bit, and someone shames you. Um, and so we find, and even if no one shames you, you shame yourself, because you didn't follow your vows. And so we have this whole system where people are being invited, invited to take initiation and take vows that everyone knows they can't follow. It's, it's a ridiculous thing. In fact, I just wrote a paper on that this morning because it's so ridiculous when you think about it. They think they're going to follow, but in, deep down they know they can't perfectly follow. And their guru knows it'll be amazing if you follow. And they can't tell anybody they're not following because then they won't get initiation. And if they're a brahmachari in India, they get kicked out of the ashram. So you have this, this whole thing going on of dishonesty and people feeling guilty and they can't open up. And feeling shamed because they broke a principle. It's so, and they all come to me with this. (laughs) This is this is what I'm seeing like almost every day. And I'm seeing like, okay, this guy is now, this guy needs to be married in his present state of emotional immaturity and trauma, he will drive this woman crazy. This woman needs to get married, she's a nice devotee but the only person I would marry her to is my enemy because she's going to drive every man crazy. So like, and she says, can you help me find a husband? Um, um, I don't know anybody. I hate that much. You know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> serious. It's like, to, what do you do? You know, very, you know, and then you talk to the person say, you know, I was picked on by my mother, my father, my brothers, this and that, and that's why I'm so messed up. So, and, and then on top of all of this, and th- then, then I'm learning how to deal with this stuff. I'm educating and I'm seeing it's helping devotees. I'm like, oh, thank you. I never knew that. It's helping me so much. And then you get all these guys, all you need is a chant Hare Krishna Prabhu. None of this psychology stuff. That's no, Prabhupada never said it. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> or they ask the question, isn't chanting Hare Krishna enough? And I say, I say... You can answer that yourself. Do you have any problems you haven't solved yet? (laughs) Because if you do, maybe you either need to chant more purely or you may need some other help in some other level. So we just started a a group for sexual sobriety from men who have a very difficult time being celibate. And one of them is my disciples. And he came to me and he said, I can't do this. And one of my God brothers has experience. And I said, what do we tell them? He said send them to a 12-step program because when they get to a certain point, they cannot help themselves, they're powerless. So he went to the 12-step program three and a half years ago and he has been completely celibate for three and a half years because of that program. And he just wrote yesterday, we have a group for these men to support them. And he just wrote, he said, chanting, hearing, Bhagavatam, I did it all, but this problem was so serious, it was so severe I had to go to a 12-step program, otherwise, I, I couldn't do it. So it's, it's like it's not a question, it's just a reality, and now he's celibate. And if you know anything about the 12-step program, it's all based on depending on God. I read their book, and you know my reaction to their book was? It was so funny. They have a book. This was for sexaholics. It's the same principle of any of the addictions, they go through the same steps. And I read the book and after I put the book down, you know what I said? I said, this book is more Krishna conscious than Krishna consciousness. It was, it was like, it, and, and what I meant by that is it took Krishna consciousness and put it into practical principles that you could apply to a specific problem, in this case addiction. So it was like more Krishna conscious in the sense that everything was about God, depending on God, being humble, being forgiving and, and self introspection. And I'm reading chapter after chapter, and I'm thinking, this is amazing that we as devotees never put a program like this together to help devotees who are addicted to alcohol or drugs or sex or gambling or codependency or whatever. So, and then, and then I realized there's no program. When, when a devotee is a sexaholic, there's no program in this kind. You could go, okay, Chan Hare Krishna, go to Bhagavatam class but a lot of these guys are living in temples and they still have the problem. And then they go to these programs and I talk to them they say, I'm celibate now, the problem's gone. As long as I have these programs, I can do it. And it's just basically Sangha and Krishna conscious principles in a self-development context. So it works. Um, I've done maybe like five different self-development workshops. And in every workshop, I learned something about myself That has made me better, better able to function in relationships, better able to function materially, better able to function spiritually, and better able to function in my service. So not big things, but little things that I was blind to that, that I was neglecting. I wasn't noticing. And part of what I learned in that was to notice what I wasn't noticing, to, to clear out blind spots, uh, and um, I have to tell you a funny story. It's actually not funny, it's sad, but it's funny in a sad way. So, I had, I had gone to one of these workshops and I was learning from them because I wanted to apply. I really like what they were doing at a spiritual foundation and I wanted to apply it in what I was teaching. So, I was taking their course to their secondary course to learn how to teach their course because I wanted to apply it. And I had just come back from that course and been with all the people who took the course. And these people are just like very open, very humble and cleansing and working on their stuff and looking at their stuff. And they really, these people have really progressed very far in dealing with their own personal issues. And then I went to a devotee program and a devotee had some training in self-development. He was asking devotees to share their challenges. And they were all sharing challenges which kind of sounded to me after coming from that workshop, like they were all dysfunctional people because no one in that workshop had the challenges that devotees had. These were all challenges that they brought in before they were devotees. It never got fixed as devotees, just kind of got swept under the rug in the name of just preach and chant. And they carry these dysfunctions with them and they're discussing them. And I just come back from this workshop and I'm thinking, this is so sad that in the Hare Krishna movement, which is supposed to be the solution to all the problems, all the devotees are talking about problems that in this other seminar nobody has because they've already worked through them through the steps they go through. So that was kind of like the icing of depression on the cake of, of we need to address these issues. Not all of us necessarily, but a lot of us. And those who are qualified to help in those areas can help tremendously. The other thing I'm seeing, my daughter just told me one out of five women today, I think in the world, America or the world, have been sexually abused. I think if you go to South America, it's higher, or in some countries it's higher, as I was told. Nothing against South Americans. We love you Argentinians. I give class in Argentina, and Brazil, and Bolivia, and Colombia. I love the South Americans, but this was just the statistics that was given to me. In those cultures, it's a little higher. Um, so whatever the case is, it's higher today than it was when I was growing up. In fact, you might say when you're growing up, it was all hidden. Could be true, but I'm sure. I'm sure it has become worse. I think Kali Yuga has arrived ahead of schedule, and things are going bad very quickly. And so what I'm finding more and more with the young people coming, they're not like the young people that were coming 30, 40, 50 years ago. They're coming with a lot of problems that we didn't have. Because we had, you know, when I grew up, the, there I only knew of one divorce. In my whole neighborhood of long Friends, I only knew one of one divorce. Of course, it was illegal, so you couldn't get it. But it's just that it was a very stable situation. And so... I don't know what it's like to come from a divorced family but i know it's difficult for many and kids coming from families where they've been neglected and so forth it's more common so what you'll notice now is that the people who are joining they're coming with more problems than they used to and it seems that as preachers not only do we have to give philosophy but we're going to have to learn if we don't know how to do we're going to have to have somebody that can help them, because a lot of those problems just get in the way of their Krishna consciousness, and they can't, they can't execute Krishna consciousness well because they're so disturbed. You, you know that kind of devotee, that he criticizes everybody, you know that kind? It's a disease. You know, It's not like the kind of devotee is criticizing because he wants to help or he's just having fun making jokes, but it's like their self-esteem is like at zero, so they just pull everybody down to feel good. and. Um, they don't get along with people there's devotees like that and it's all it's all internal issues and and we could say you could preach to them devotees are humble devotees shouldn't criticize etc etc but the fact is they're they are programmed with such dysfunctions they can't stop criticizing so all the philosophy in the world doesn't work more than a day or two on them have you ever seen that you know that class you ever been to that class it's like wow i'm never going to criticize again wow i'm never going to get up late again wow i'm never going to oversleep again i'm never going to overeat again oh wow that was amazing i'm going to chant good rounds the rest of my life and like three days later it's like boop. it's like the, the, have you ever seen that class now if the class is good you get seven days if it's amazing you get 11 days those are the statistics from the Mahatma Purana. (laughs) It's like, you know, we all have this little hole of this. You have this hole of dysfunction. You just fall back into your dysfunction after the inspiration. is over. So we've all seen this. And so sometimes we're throwing philosophy at problems that can't be solved with philosophy. Of course, I'm not saying we don't need philosophy and philosophy is bad, but in some cases, this was my point when, when I was doing that last class. My point was sometimes you're throwing the wrong medicine at a problem. It's not It's not a problem that needs philosophy. It's a problem that needs something else. May, maybe the person just needs to talk, they just need a friend. Someone needs to help them understand why they're criticizing, what's going on, what are you lacking, what's missing, what needs aren't being fulfilled. It could be so many things. And sometimes, we had this devotee in L.A. I won't mention his name. This was in the late 70s. And if you didn't give lots of respect and special treatment to this devotee he would get depressed and he did a lot of service so ramashar always made sure he had better prasadam he had a cushion when no one had a cushion he had a mat when no one had a mat to sleep on he he was we'd always take care of him and then the devotee was very very happy and then he would do a lot of service (laughs) so it's it's a reality you know some people need certain things they need a little someone to Puff them up a little bit. Some men need to be married. We all have different needs. And if these needs aren't fulfilled, sometimes it can create all kinds of trouble. And then we're throwing philosophy at these people and it's not the problem. You know, it's like, it's like you're hungry. And I preached to you, you know, austerity is good. And actually, you know, why don't you just fast today? Because you don't really need to eat. You know, that's not really going to work just give him some prasadam and it's finished you know that's it so it's a little bit like that so that that's been my experience and that's that's why when people say well you don't need these other things you just need to chant that's fine if you can chant pure holy name but at the same time i don't think we can support from shastra that chanting is actually to can be considered a universal psychological tool that would heal every dysfunction and mental illness that a living entity has. It's not, so So to say, you know, chanting will solve everything. It'll solve every, every material contamination, that's for sure. It'll awaken your relationship with Krishna. But there's certain things it's not intended to do that we, we may need help with. Or it's certain things it may not be able to do until you're more pure. So you're not chanting purely, so it can't do it. It's a kind of dichotomy, right? You know, like this guy, he can't control himself sexually. But if I just chant purely like Takahari does, then I'll be able to control myself. Great. But why? But due to the fact that you can't control yourself sexually, you can't chant like Takahari does in order to chant purely enough to get that effect. So we have to help you in another way deal with that. And then you'll chant purely and that will give you the strength to continue. So that's what I've seen. That's the... Report from the battlefield. That um, so then, what I did is I started incorporating some of these teachings, and I started with forgiveness. <clears throat> and I never knew what an epidemic forgiveness was in the world and in ISKCON. People devotees would tell me, "I have issues with my guru. I have issues with Krishna. I got issues with every authority, GBC, temple It was like, it was like insane how deeply rooted these issues were, and so. In the forgiveness workshop, we let them bring their issues out so they can work on them and heal them. That was amazing. I was in shock. Of of all the, so many senior devotees still had issues. Even issues with devotees who were dead that they didn't like. It was crazy. And then I would tell them, Prabhu's, Mataji's, or. Well, I don't know if I said Prabhu's and Mataji's. I probably just said Prabhu's. So I said Prabhu's. And all the Indian women will think, why are you calling us Prabhus? And all the American women are thinking, why are you calling us Matajis? I, I, so I addressed all the mamas and papas and I said, do you believe in karma? Which of course, like, why are you asking me? Of course I do. Then I said, well, if you believe in karma, why are you at a forgiveness workshop? Because you know everything that happens is a reaction to your activity. You shouldn't have anything to do with this. So That was a big, it was a big eye-opener for me when I realized how pervasive the resentment issues were in the hearts of devotees, and most of it, maybe not most of it, but lots of it were pre-ISKCON days. It was parents, brothers, abuse that they, uh, from family members and so forth, and now they're adults and they're carrying it with them. So you would think, you would think Krishna consciousness could solve that, and you would think, well, that's the philosophy. It's your karma, Prabhu, tough luck, yeah. I got raped when I was a kid. It's your karma. You probably raped someone when you were a kid. That When you were in your past life. That doesn't work. You know, it's an emotional wound and scar. And the philosophy doesn't heal it. It it might heal it for some devotees, but for many devotees, the philosophy doesn't heal it. They know it's my karma, but still they're hurt, they're resentful. And so using what I knew about psychology and self-development and adding Krishna consciousness, to it, I just developed like 30 steps so you could forgive. And everyone who went through it, it's very rare that, that someone would go through it and not let go. If they didn't let go, it's just like they didn't want to, they didn't think the person deserved it. But I would say 95%, 98% let it go. It was a process, and I figured out if you go through this process, you'll just let it go. But if you go back and look at the process, you'll, you'll say, well, each step was just an aspect of Krishna consciousness applied in a context that we don't normally apply it. Right? Being compassionate towards the person who hurt you, that's a new concept. We're compassionate to the average guy in the street. That's easy. You don't know him. Oh, go out and distribute books. The movement of compassion. Yeah, it's easy to be compassionate to people you never met. How about compassionate to the guy who stole all your money or ran off with your wife? That's a different game. But when you're forgiving, that's an element. You have to have some understanding what that person was going through, that they would do such a horrible thing. So we were starting to apply Krishna conscious principles in a completely different context than we were used to. But I had learned that. I learned how to take these things and and broaden the context. So we would do a lot of exercises in compassion. Then another thing happened. This was amazing. When you have an issue, like an emotional issue, like resentment, What you normally try to do is just suppress it, repress it, because you don't want to feel it because it's so painful. And so I realized that for many devotees, the way they deal with with negative emotions is suppress or repress. They either don't want to feel it, or they just think that's how you control it. If you just don't deal with it, you control it, right? I'm feeling resentful. Just don't feel it and and pretend it's not there. It doesn't work like that. What I found is you have to feel it, you have to face it, and that's how you get through it. And that was a whole new realization for me, that you actually feel the emotion. Why should I feel resentment? Well, not that you should feel resentment, but you should feel what it's like to have resentment. So I asked all the devotees, what does your resentment feel like? I didn't ask them to feel resentment. I just said, what does it feel like to have it? And so everybody would come up with an analogy. Well, it feels like I'm carrying weights, or it feels like I have knives in my heart or it feels like I'm drinking poison, or it feels like I'm, I'm giving birth but I won't let the baby out, or it feels like I'm in prison. all these examples. And then I would ask them, I said, wow, that's amazing. Did you know you felt like this before? And they all say, I had no idea. I had no idea I felt like this. And I said, do you think it helps you to realize that this is what you're carrying? They said, oh yeah, now I realize what I'm carrying. And I was thinking as devotees, we're kind of trained to suppress or repress because we think it's like you control the mind, so you control the emotion, you don't feel it. But then I realized it was just a lesson I never knew. You have to feel it to go through it. And then once you feel it, and go, you can can face it when you feel it. And the reason you don't face problems is because you don't want to feel them. Oh, Prabhu, can you do this? Oh, and it makes you feel bad. No, 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 I I can't. Can you talk to this devotee? No, no, I don't want to talk to them because there's all these negative feelings you don't want to face. But once you face them and talk to them and work through them, it's great. You work through the problem. It's very easy. That was my experience. So that was like major eye-opening for me. I think I had suppressed a lot of uh, my emotions in the name of trying to control myself. And so I did a seminar and they, at one time it was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I forget the context, maybe, maybe, Brenda, you know, but it was if we had to express something about how we feel. How do you feel about this? And you know what I said? Because I'm such an intellectual, I said, what do you mean by feeling? I was analyzing what it means to feel. And at that point, I realized, wow, I've been so much in my head, philosophy, philosophy. I had to ask them, what does it mean to feel as as crazy as that sounds? And then I was looking at all the Prabhupada disciples in the seminar, and they all had the same problem. They didn't know how to feel. They weren't. They, that was like they turned it off because that was like sense control. And so there was this whole world of emotions that was just like unknown to them and creating all kinds of dysfunctions and not being able to express themselves in real ways or to say, I'm sorry, or to say, I forgive you. And, oh, uh, that was very... Uh, Uh, eye-opening. And and when I had that realization, I think I've been a devotee like 35 years. So I was realizing there's a part of this world in me that wasn't touched by bhakti. It was just, you know, I needed somebody else to go in there. But because you're a devotee, once you find it and deal with it, you just apply that to your bhakti. So how could it not be Krishna conscious? Because you just use it to become more Krishna conscious, right? That's not Krishna conscious. Well, how could you evaluate what is and or isn't? It's not sinful. It's not against our philosophy. So you can only evaluate it by how you use it, by the effect. And if the effect is good, then it's Krishna conscious, even though the process wasn't. Like, if I can help you forgive, I guarantee you, you'll be more Krishna conscious, even if I use a process that's not so Krishna conscious. Like if I say, just forgive because it'll make you feel good, very selfish. But you do it you get rid of the resentment you'll be more krishna conscious because resentment is all tamagoon. so i just i just did an operation on you i got rid of all the tamagun connected with the resentment so you'll feel more krishna conscious even though the method might have been very personal let it go you're harming yourself you're harming yourself physically emotionally spiritually just let it go do it for yourself you deserve it but they don't deserve it i know they don't deserve it but you deserve to forgive them
4: Oh, oh,
3: okay. And then they do it. And like, how do you feel? Oh, I feel so much better. I'm so happy. And let's go out and preach. I'm excited. Let's do service. I'm serious. I'm serious. That's what happens. So I've, I've seen this too many times to sit back and think, no new psychology. It's all a bunch of, you know, this and that, new age, this and that. And like, no, it's not, prov-. you know, open your eyes and look at the people who are joining today. They're coming from very troubled backgrounds, a lot of them, and they need more help. And unfortunately, it's not really what our mission was aimed to do, but now everyone who's talking about devotee care is talking about social, physical, emotional, and spiritual, not just spiritual. Because it's synergistic, you're a whole person. You you can't really do one without the other. That's my story. So you wanna ask questions? Or you want to argue?
0: <laughs> I, I, And we can open it. We'll open it up for everyone, too. I just wanted to share a, a recent reflection that I'm having, and, and you really sparked okay, it. You, I have this. All right, let me turn off my AC so I can hear you. And if I start to sweat and
3: faint, I'll turn it back on. OK, I can hear you. <laughs> um, 60, you were, 65 decibels, that air condition. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. You, were, you were speaking about just this idea of the Maha Mantra that um, you know, I'm having some psychological issues. So then it's like, well, just chant Hare Krishna. Right? But it's like, what in and, and you kind of you kind of alluded to this. It's like, what does that actually mean? Like to chant purely, like what state that has, to, you know, we have to be in. But um, I'm recently reading the Mahabharata, and there's that that famous story where um Arjuna and Krishna are fighting against Bhishma and is just laying it out on Arjuna. And Arjuna is holding back a little bit because of his, you know, affection for his grandfather. And Krishna is thinking to himself, he's like, Arjuna is not going to do it. And our, Krishna had made this vow that he's not going to fight. So then he decides to break his vow and grab the chariot wheel to go attack Bhishma. And then Arjuna became morose and he went to grab Krishna, because he didn't want Krishna to break his vow for his sake. So I was just thinking about that in terms of like, let me just throw my problems at the Maha Mantra. And let the Maha, Maha Mantra fix it, rather than let me show up to the, Maha, to the Holy Name with, with my junk taken care of so I can actually serve the Holy Name, not that the Holy Name is going to have to serve me.
3: That's a good point. It's an interesting point. I think, I think also there's a balance there, because you know, you know you can't solve any problem without Krishna's help, that's for sure. But if you sit back and do nothing, and just expect Krishna to do everything, that's also a problem. And certainly, there are many problems that the Holy Name will solve. And my whole point is, not to say that it won't, and the process won't, but my point is, when there are problems that you have that it hasn't, then it's wise to look at what else you can do. Because it may not you may not be in a state advanced enough to solve those problems, or they may not be problems that the process is meant to solve. Or you may be, your problems could be solved if they weren't so severe. So, you know, there's a balance in there, right? You know, because there's also Dropadi, hands up, Krishna I can't do it. So that's there also, but your effort is also there. And your intelligence is there about how to, you know, you use your intelligence. Okay, I have this problem, what to do? I knew this devotee in LA and he had a problem. I don't think it was drinking, I think it was smoking so I said, why don't you go to some program to help you?" He goes, no, 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 just the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And he went on for 20 years and he finally conquered it. I saw him, he moved to and I saw him last year and oh yeah, you are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm doing great. Blah, blah. I said, you have that problem anymore? No, 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 we conquered it. He did it through Krishna consciousness, but it took him 20 years. And that program might've taken him three months or six months, but he didn't want to do it because he didn't believe in it. So I don't think that's
0: wise i think you know krishna
3: helping us also means giving us intelligence to do something that could help
0: and even that example with Draupadi, she it's not that that was her first resort she was holding on as tight as she yeah. could yeah and then she was like well i'm i'm powerless at this point Oh, govinda
3: but it's interesting because that's the whole prem the whole basis of the 12 step program is i'm powerless and mm-hmm. a power greater than me can conquer this addiction i can't conquer it on my own mm-hmm. So it's firmly grounded in, in something which is Krishna conscious and God conscious, but there, there are steps and processes in place. I think, I think some devotees just like, they're very concerned that if anything outside of Bhagavatam and Vedic culture comes in, it's bad. But a lot of the times it's just, it's just our philosophy dressed in a different way or in a different context and we don't recognize it. And, or aimed in a, for a specific problem that you don't get so much in our scriptures it's, they're not written that way like if you want to find out about forgiveness in our books you're not going to go to the chapter on forgiveness right because there isn't one if you want to, there's no like generally chapter on that one topic everything in the vedas is in that topic you have to actually do the work and so that's what these programs do they they bring everything on the topic into one place and it makes it easy to apply and understand. I don't think there's any, I think that's what we should be doing. Like I did with forgiveness. And then you realize, oh, there's so much there. I just didn't see it because I didn't have to put it in that context.
0: And I think uh, Sarvatma Prabhu has a question uh, and as well as Maxwell. So Sarvatma Prabhu. Is it going chat or you want to ask it? Um, Sarvatma Prabhu, if you want, you can unmute yourself and go ahead and ask
1: okay uh the question is um in order to enact this this processes and in order to let's say you accept that you you have problems and, yes. and that there is a process uh so-called outside of krishna consciousness to, in order to to fix it um, and yeah. fix it from the root then there will be. Uh, um, Something else called trust that you need to actually because we say there is no secrets in Iskan. So if you actually open up to someone uh, who is who may be qualified, uh, that may may you become may become the laughingstock of others because you know, yeah. came out first. Also, the the pratiknati guhya ma is is a direct instruction from Rupa Goswami we should actually reveal our minds. But unless there is trust, how, yes. how do you create that situation? Who do you choose? And how do you know you're not gonna be, again, in, this, in the same situation, except that now you're gonna be uh, uh, carrying the scuttle letter with you? Well, I'll tell you a story. It's about five,
3: three or four years ago, I ended up in Bangalore and Jai Dwaitaswamy Swami was there, and he was telling me a story about something he had told somebody, and he made the person promise to keep it confidential, and the person didn't. And then he said, I have observed in ISKCON there's no confidentiality, because whoever says they'll keep it confidential always tells somebody. You know, if I say Sarvatma, will you keep it confidential? In your mind, it may confidential might mean I just tell my wife. So, when, and in her mind, it might be I just tell my best friend, and <laughs> her best friend in her mind, confidential. So I never, I you know, I kind of understood that, but I never really thought about it until he talked about it, and then and then I realized that's so true. Our definition of confidentiality is just tell your wife. I only told my wife. Yeah, well, she only told. Her best friend and her best friend only told her best friend and her best friend that you know three days later you're a, a star on the internet so you know sometimes devotees say i'd rather go to a therapist because they won't tell anybody because it's their profession you know i know I won't tell anybody nobody knows me this one devotee she was having a hard time. It was an unfortunate situation, and devotees were turning against her. She said, "I went to a church. It was so nice. Nobody knew who I was, and they all accepted me." So there's that's there. So um, what I've been doing, and I think we can do this with people we're confiding in. Um, I've been trying to help devotees realize the definition of confidentiality is zero. You don't tell anybody. There's not one person you tell, because I think that's the problem. We think confidential means, of course you're going to tell your husband or wife. Then one time I, I, we have a group called Sapa and we're sworn to confidentiality, at least on certain issues you know, until they're resolved. And my wife said, I'm your wife. You have to tell me you don't love me if you don't tell me. It's something like that, you know, it's like, ah, you know. We can't fall for that. So I'm sorry, I can't tell you it's confidential. So, I've been trying to educate devotees that confidentiality means nobody hears it. And I think before you're going to be confidential, you want to be certain that that person knows what you expect and you can trust them. And I think it's something we need to talk about a lot with devotees because we don't have a high level of confidentiality. And in the recovery pro uh, work programs they say you're only sick as your secret like you have to if you have a real difficult addiction or a real difficult problem that you can't solve on your own you have to talk about it because if you don't talk about it it just remains within you and it's therapeutic to talk as we all know get it out in the open but like you're saying i can get it out of the open and then all of a sudden you know you go down to la temple and everyone's looking at you like you're a bum it's like what happened what did i do oh, your therapist told us your story from when you were you know, 11 years old and you did this. So we, we, have to, we have to define what we expect in confidentiality and then we have to be able to trust them. Otherwise, we'll have to go to some professional who we know is sworn to confidentiality. And then we have to practice it ourselves. And it's, it's, I would just say it's a, pro, it's a real problem when we need to talk about it with any situation. Like when devotees ask me, can you talk about devotee care? You, one of the first things I say is, listen in confidentiality. That's one of the greatest services you could do in devotee care, because we lack that, right? And <laughs> let's say I tell you something, Sarvatma about, about something I did like 30 years ago, and you're listening to it and you're going, oh my God, oh my God, you're such a jerk. You know, that's not how you listen. You just have to listen, like, oh, that must have been really hard for you. You're not judging. You're not, you know, expressing, you know, disbelief <coughs> or <coughs> ghastly responses and so forth. And that's also something we have to learn. That's that's how you do it professionally. So, if we can't do that, then guyam akat guyam you can't do it. You'll just lie. These, these brahmacharis in India would come to me and they'd have problems, sexual problems. I said, Well, why don't you talk about it with your brahmachari leader? And they said, I can't talk about it. He'll kick me out of the ashram. So we can't have a situation that's unsafe, that you have to talk what's in your heart and then you get judged and thrown out on the street. That's really unfortunate. We, we need that situation of confidentiality and we need to be able to help. So
1: maybe maybe just like when uh when we consider going to college to be the slaughterhouse and everybody in the movement thought that way that yes. if you go to school you're going to be an an educated carmi because you, you will never remain a devotee um maybe now we should um educate therapists to yeah, we should. should
3: I think that is that's really wise you know when when you're looking when young people are looking for an occupation they should look for occupations in which they can serve the movement for sure i mean i wish we had a therapist in every temple because it would make my life a lot easier i just oh just just go to your local therapist why are you coming to me (laughs) then instead of getting 50 whatsapp messages every hour and 50 emails every hour i'd get like three an hour because, and, you know, and it's like also the problem is like, if you come to me, I'm not a trained therapist. I can deal with some things, but certain things I'm not qualified to deal with. You don't need me. I mean, I can kind of understand what the problem is and what I can deal with, but you don't know, have trained professionals. Sometimes I've seen devotees, you know, they didn't want to go to therapists. And I said, just go the one session they solved their problem. It was amazing. And I don't think we have many devotees in our movement that could have solved their problem because they're not trained to deal with that. And so you know you know, in business, you have to predict the future, what's gonna happen and then be prepared for it. I think we need, to, we need to have more therapists in our movement. That's how we should prepare for the future because they're gonna be very busy and more marriage counselors. I mean, look at the problem with marriage. We need more therapists and marriage counselors and we need, as Jayadweta Swami said, we need more grandmothers. Grandmothers are wise and they listen and they don't judge Cause you know, we grew up in the years of, you know, lots of judgment. You know, you remember the day, sarvamma what did it feel like the day you went from saffron to white? That was probably the most difficult day of your life, wasn't it? With all the looks and stares like, what happened to you? Like you have some disease. Yeah. Happened to me. It was like, yeah. then you know who your friends are when you go from saffron to white. You really, cause some people will just, they like, they don't want to be your friend anymore.
0: Did that happen to you Ananda? um I didn't I I didn't feel that from the general community but I definitely got a comment here and there oh okay
3: yeah I think maybe the the communities are more mature than when I put on white it was like (laughs) double take he's wearing white like oh my god
0: so we have um, one question from Facebook and then Maxwell had a question so this is from Yosef Lakovos I believe that's how you pronounce their name, is that if someone committed a grave moral transgression against us, does forgiveness mean we have to trust the person who seriously harmed us ever again?
3: No. I could speak for a long time, but the short answer is forgive them and you don't have to have a relationship with them if you don't want to. But the the resentment is going to remain in your heart. So you want to get rid of that. Getting rid of the resentment doesn't mean you have to have the relationship. That's your choice. It may not be healthy. It may be or may not be. You decide.
0: Yeah. And then, um, yeah, wonderfully succinct and powerful. Um, Maxwell Prabhu, you had a question? You can unmute yourself and go ahead. Oh, Oh, you're still muted, Max.
5: Okay. can you hear me now? Yes. Yes oh, this is my first time using Zoom, so I haven't really figured it out, but you can hear me uh, I'm grateful to be here. Um, thank you for all the all the insights. and I just want to speak on what we're talking about, uh, humility and the Maha mantra. Uh, of course, we we don't uh, act count on Krishna to solve all our problems. We ask Krishna for guidance, and he shows us how to solve our problems. And so, how I've learned the Maha, use the Maha mantra is that when I'm feeling upset or unstable, or maybe in my thoughts are not, you know, for the benefit of uh, maybe my partner or, or, or associates I'm working with, I'll chant the mantra quietly, very slowly. And in that, I can gauge my anxiety, uh, my stress or not. And if I feel it, then I go slower and I, and I keep slowing it down to the point where I finally, finally, at ease and so that's one way the maha mantra prepares me to communicate and so if i I have a situation that um i feel needs resolve i can approach it calmly thanks to the maha mantra the way it it just settles my heart So i just wanted to share that how um you know christian is saying i give you the mantra On. on Zoom, a lot of people me have home.
3: a lot of like symptoms. So you. Um, thank you. i on that. Thank you. Yeah, the Maha Mantra is amazing. You can uh, yeah. take shelter in the Maha Mantra. We're so fortunate to have it. Ram, you wanted to say something?
2: Yeah, Hare Krishna. Thank you for the lecture. I was I have a reflection uh, <laughs> I was listening what Ananda Murari said about Krishna and there is something in the, the Shumat Bhavatam, in the first canto 8 chapter that Krishna said uh, that that he that was like an emergency he said, but what but the emergency emergency was more important than that than the vow he's better known as bhaktavatsala all the lover of his devotee, and thus he preferred to continue as Bhaktavatsalya than to be a worldly. I mean, can we apply this in our life? Devotees can like change things uh, if they say something. In if they took about like for a higher purpose, Yeah. like as brahmanas. Can we do this, or or we must, you know?
3: yeah you have to know how to do it and when to do it and when not to do it. that's the problem, but you know I always think if i if I advise somebody to do something and sometimes I have that on the surface it's not Krishna conscious but it's going to help them become Krishna conscious then I would advise them like like this girl is this devotee girl is addicted to salsa, so she goes out dancing and her husband's like. I don't want to go salsa dancing, and I told him you have to, because otherwise she's dancing with other men. So even though it's kind of like Maya, but it's less Maya than what's going to happen. If he doesn't go. Right? There's, there's I was speaking to another devotee, and she works in an industry which is, which is she's she needs to be married because there's so many men in that industry trying to like have relationships with her. And she was thinking of being single all her life, but I said, no, you have to be married. You'll, you'll, I said, you think you could make it in that industry single? She said, probably not, but she'd like to try, but it's not healthy. So you have to, you know, you judge every situation. So sometimes telling a person to do something that doesn't seem Krishna conscious ends up producing a Krishna conscious result. That's what I look at. I mean, in the end of, you know, it's like the end of the life. Okay, you followed all these principles and you're going to take birth again. So what's the point? And you broke one principle and you're going back to Godhead. So it's better in my book, right? Yes? Good. Esta, esta bien. Esta bien. Esta, esta. In Argentina, you say esta. And in Mexico, they say, esta, right? Eh? Esta bien.
2: Esta bien. <laughs> Más o menos. Esta bien. No entiendo
0: nada, español. If there are any questions on uh, Zoom or on Facebook, I didn't see anyone. What one. about chat? Did you look at the chat? Is there anything on the chat? Yeah, there's nothing else in the chat right now. Is, is there okay. anything else in Zoom? Hare Krishna. Okay, well, if, there's, if there's nothing else, Mahatma we'd love to um, have some kirtan from you. What I'll do is before we start kirtan actually is um, I will put uh, Prabhu's website as well as links to his book and, um, and a podcast that actually uh, Harley organizes and helps put up daily classes on the podcast. Um, So I'll put in some of these links.
3: Go Ranga, Grandma, where are you? Oh, you're in your living room. Yeah,
2: living room. (laughs) We're working. Here is Prima. So um,
3: I can do but it's just me and my keyboard. I don't know.
0: That sounds that sounds wonderful. Hmm. So, um, it, devotees can look in the chat and you'll find a collection of um, various links that take you to Mahatma Prabhu's various offerings. Um, the book that we mentioned, Living the Wisdom of Bhakti, is there, the Amazon link, as well as his personal website where you can find his other books. Ah. Uh, his Facebook, where he gives daily classes Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Govinda, govinda. And his YouTube channel as well. So, um, if you're interested in continuing the stream of nectar, you can uh, follow it there. And we'll have some kirtan and and we'll end the Sunday feast. Thank you, everyone, for for being with us. And thank you again for Mahatma.
3: Okay, it's the one-man band, the COVID one-man band. It's hard, you know, we do kirtan every Sunday. It's hard to get devotees together, so hold on. I have my backup band here on my keyboard, if we need it. And just before class, I was recording. The to come in English, two verses. It's really beautiful. Have you played the keyboard? It's really nice. And you'll get to hear it someday. I'm not sure when. It's a hassle to mix it. So if I'm going to sing this loud, can you hear the keyboard? Is it loud enough? It's OK.
0: It's okay. What? One thing you can do possibly is um, we I figured this out on Zoom. If you go to the little microphone icon at the bottom left of your screen, and you click the arrow, okay, you go to audio settings. In the bottom, yeah. And then go to advanced. I think I'm already on advanced. Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, go to advanced. And then disable both suppress persistent background noise and suppress intermittent background noise. Disable both of those.
3: Oh, that's like a uh, compressor.
0: Yeah, and that'll, that'll make all the sound a lot cleaner. You'll be able to hear everything better. I didn't know. Echo cancellation also. No, leave that, leave that on auto. So what's this
3: suppressed persistent? That's like, it's got a, like a built-in compressor. Pretty and much,
0: yeah. And, and so then it, then it allows just voices to come through without a lot of background. But then when you're playing music, it... it... Okay, how did this
4: sound?
3: So every time I go on Zoom, I have to do that setting or it's set permanently now.
0: It should be set permanently now.
4: Oh,
0: wow. Loud.
4: The keyboard is louder than your voice.
3: Krishna Krishna Hare. Keyboard's louder. And the keyboard's louder than your voice.
4: Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Hare. Better. Low.
3: It's funny, I don't play keyboard, so it's just kind of a joke that I'm playing, but I can get by. Momishna Badakrishna Prasai, who today is three Mathe Bakti Vedantishami, Chinaman, Namaste, Sharashati Devi, Gold of Bandipuchari, Nenevi says, Sunyavari was charged at
4: his turn. Krishna Jaitana Prabhu, the Tananda, Shia Deita Gurada, Shiva Siddhi Gauru, Makdana, Prabhu. Tan on She da <laughs>
3: doing often is singing Shishastikam in English to the melodies that I do kirtan. So can I do that for you? I'm my guitar we have time
0: um it's it is six thirty, so i mean we can continue um but yeah please do peru
3: uh, i'll do five minutes just what i was just starting to re- i recorded one thing today earlier and then i was just starting to record something and then hubby came over and he brought me a, a midi keyboard and we hooked it up and it actually works kind of sort of so um I didn't get to do it, but I'll play you. I didn't, Did I play this song in,
0: in, when I was in Denver?
3: The um, Shishasta you
0: may, have, one? you may have played a version. What? I thought you played yeah. a version one day.
3: Yeah, let me play a few. Let me, let me play these two. These two. Uh, let me play these two uh, verses that I just sang. I don't know how it's going to work on this mic because it's, you may not pick up the guitar that well because it's very directional have a better mic. I'm going to plug in my better mic. Hold on, excuse me for any pops and noises, but this will be better for the guitar. Ah! This is actually a guitar mic, which sounds really good on voices also. Can you tell the difference? Krishna, Krishna, Hari, Hari.
0: I'm wondering if you have Zoom connected to that mic or not. It doesn't seem like it's connected. It's
3: not coming through?
0: Well, I think it's. you can go also into the audio again.
3: Krishna, Krishna, Hari, Hari. Now it's too loud. You don't hear anything?
0: No, I mean, we hear you, but I'm just wondering, because we don't hear the difference with the mic.
3: Oh that's because maybe your headphones can't tell the difference or you're t- hearing from your speakers on your computer you may not hear the difference but it'll pick up the guitar better okay krishna chaytana Prabodhita. okay right back If I was really prepared, I would have done the backup on the keyboard, then we could have played the keyboard as background. All right, tell me, tell me, um, tell me if you tell me how this sounds with voice and guitar. Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. The guitar too loud. Without
4: you, a moment feels like i million the and tears are flowing from my eyes, just like torrents of rain. In the world without you I'm feeling all vacant in the world without you on. And I'm feeling all vacant in the world without you on. I am feeling all vacant in the world without you. World
3: without you, you can't see when I'm playing. So it's G. It goes, the verse goes G and through E minor. And the
4: chorus, the chorus is C, G, E minor, C, repeats it. Okay? Okay. Try it again. Without you are a moment. Like a million years A million years And tears are flowing from so my eyes just like the shore. So we do
3: another verse. This is this next verse. It's, it's a prayer to have some taste for chanting. It's a prayer to be able to feel something when we chant. Sounds okay? Hmm. One, one verse I really like, and it's it's totally depressing. I don't want to depress you, but I will, in a good way. I just have to remember the words. See if we can do it.
4: holy name can render blessings on all living. You and you have hundreds of millions
3: names like Krishna and Govinda This next part is really heavy
4: But I'm so unfortunate that I have no taste I'm so unfortunate that I have no taste, I am so unfortunate that I have no taste I am so unfortunate that I have no taste you so no hold So we'll sing that once
3: more. Totally depress you, but maybe it'll inspire you.
4: Your body name can render blessings on all living beings. And you have hundreds of names. Like Krishna and Govinda. Everyone sing. But I'm so unfortunate that I have no taste. I'm so unfortunate that I have no taste. I'm so unfortunate that I have no taste. I'm so unfortunate
3: It's a heavy verse, and it's true, and that's why it's heavy. Hare Krishna. Go Ranga. And there's one more really cool thing you may want to do. I don't know if we did this in Denver, but this chord progression I was playing. G, C, G, E minor, C. There's the coolest song. The coolest song ever, these chords. And it really sounds good, sir. If I'm on the piano.
4: Radha
3: next going to sing
4: harmony, okay? You're going to sing.
3: you sing the harmony and I'll sing the lower part
4: One more time. Radhe radhe. Oh, radhe, radhe. Radhe, radhe, radhe. Radhe, radhe.
3: Radhe, Definitely have to record that one. Radhe, radhe, radhe. We played this at a concert in uh, Mexico City and then we played it again at Colum- in Colombia. People went completely nuts. They didn't know what was happening to them. They were getting Radharani's mercy. They were going crazy. And after, after this boy came up, and he said, That Radharani song, he said, I never experienced anything like that. <sar riffing> <laughs> Okay, it's nice seeing you all. I have many more songs, but for another time.
0: Thank you, Prabhu. We're looking forward to uh, seeing you again very soon and in person. Yeah,
3: when the world clears up. Right now in Europe, they're doing
2: all kinds of programs. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. welcome. Check, Sorry check, about Check your chat. I sent you a private message.
3: You know this song? When you feel like the world has you down on the ground, then it's hard to face another day.
4: When everywhere you look, you can't find an answer. It's time to throw your hands up. That Amazing song.
3: They sing song. Gotta hear it. It's on the internet, with the video, if you want to hear it. Radhe Sham, Look up Radhe Sham Mahatma Das. It's a great song. It should have gone viral, it didn't. I'll probably be famous after I die, but Krishna's keeping me humble. Hare Krishna. Nice <laughs> <Hare Hare laughs> <Hare Hare laughs> to see all of you. We'll see you again.
0: Thank you so much. Hare, Hare. Hare Krishna.
3: Hare, Hare Jai Prabhupada.
0: Thank you, devotees. Jai Krishna Prabhupada. Hare Krishna
2: nice to see you Bye. Bye.